0: Man, is it quiet in here. <laughs> you guys are scaring me. <laughs> um, so yeah, these have been a little longer. Last week we gave an intermission in the middle of the, the talk. So we might do that. We'll kind of see how fast I talk and how, I don't know, where we're at in about a half an hour. And if it seems like we need to do that, we'll, we'll do that. I'm fine with it. Um... Strangely, I'm kind of excited about this particular message. Uh, today I'm going to talk about kingdom economics and just money. you know how money is work you know works in the kingdom of God, and how the Lord intended it to work in the church. Uh, so I feel like I shouldn't be excited about this, but I, I actually really am. <laughs> um, so just to give a little refresher, like John said, uh, I think it's really important to go back and listen to the last two messages. Uh, if you're part of this community, of course, some might be just visiting or whatever, but if you're part of this church, you know, there are a lot of changes. These aren't just tweaks. Um, we are shifting things uh, dramatically. Uh, that's the aim. And nothing abrupt, but in the days to come, we really want to move this thing and shift it. So it's important to really go. Uh, understand and really take the time to um, process all of this i know it's going to be a lot for us to to think about and and really grasp so again it's not an abrupt thing but really uh try to track with us you know stay stay with it if you miss a week go back you know listen to it um talk about it amongst yourselves talk to the lord about it study the scriptures um you know i'm i'm just a man i'm just coming pitching ideas and i you know i believe they're all rooted in the scriptures, but we all have to really uh, test everything, right? The Bible says that. Test everything that you hear and go to the word of God and make sure that uh, things that I'm saying and this shift that we're moving into is really rooted in scripture. We don't want anything that's not from Jesus and from the word of God. Um, So, yeah. Uh, but just to give you a little <clears throat> refresher from the last couple weeks, the first week I, I really sort of dismantled, uh, as much as I could with words, the traditional church model, and we just really looked at that and kind of talked about how it's really not biblical, and there's a lot of problems with it, a lot of deficiencies that we all have felt, I've felt for years, um... You know, when we talk about the traditional model, I like to, and maybe I'm being a little, um, you know, snarky about it, but I like to call it the big Sunday show, uh, where, you know, the paid clergy is delivering the big message, the animated talk, and, you know, you have the band, the plays, and just there's the great gulf between the one or two or three people who are on the stage And everyone else, as we witness right here in this very moment, as I'm up on the stage, the lights are on me, I get the mic, you know, I get, I kind of get all the airtime in the room. That's just normal. No matter what denomination, uh, almost all of the church expressions, whether kind of casual, Calvary Chapel, hippie church, uh, to high church liturgical, you know, with the organs and the, you all they all kind of run the same. Uh, they usually have, you know, the traditional church model, some kind of building, uh, often very expensive building, even cathedrals or giant shopping mall type uh, churches that are like, have food courts in them and <laughs> all kinds of stuff, I mean, especially in America. Uh, we have a you know, traditional church. We separate the kids out of the service, and we put them in you know, the kid's wing or the basement or wherever, and the adults have their own thing. And again, I'm speaking more of what we do in America, and uh, more in the West, I think. Uh, I think church expressions in, in, in China and Africa. I mean, it, it really varies out there, India. So traditional church model, 90% of the resources are spent inwardly, uh, which we're going to get into today, talking about that. But the problem with the model is that it's often pretty stagnant. Uh, There's Especially in America, there's a decline in the Christian movement. Uh, Churches are dying. I mean, the landscape is, is just littered in New England, Northeast especially, uh, with empty church buildings. Or if you really went to some of these churches on a Sunday morning, you'd find out that, uh, well, they run on their endowments and just because they've been in existence for 200 years or whatever. Um, and there's like 14 people you know, in the building, 17 people, and most of them are like over 80. Um, it's, not a, it's not a multiplying model. Uh, Very, very few churches plant new churches because it's just so expensive to do that because you need to pay the family, you know, pay the pastor that's planting and you need to buy or rent a building and you need to do all the promotion and marketing. It's just really expensive. Most churches are about 100 people and don't have the ability to do that. So the model is even stagnant in terms of uh, multiplication, you know, church planting. It kind of stifles the church planting movement. As I said, uh, I think in both weeks, um, the model is not working well in terms of raising up our children to be strong in the faith and go out into the world and sustain You know, most who grow up in the church fall away from the faith between the ages of, you know, 19 and and 29. That to me, that alone is enough to just make me think deeply about everything we do. But we see, you know, with this model, very few lasting conversions. There's kind of a passivity and boredom uh, in the typical church person. Because there's really no room to you know, there's really not much to do. You know, I know I as a Christian, I would I think go crazy in 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 most churches. I mean, I think Wren specifically, we have we've allowed a lot of participation and we'll do things like installations and have different people leading different things. So we've really tried to almost work as much participation and involvement as we can within the trish- traditional model. Um, but I think I would go crazy in most churches because there's really nothing to do. You know, what are you gonna do? You can lead in the kids' service, you can do security, do the welcome table. I mean, if you're a musician, the tiny percentage that can do that, then you can, you know, maybe if you're good enough, you can play in the band. Uh, there's just not a lot of room for participation. Um, so there's a boredom, and that's, I think, a lot of the reason why young people 19 to 29 are dropping out. They're just like, okay, it's kind of boring. It's like just come and watch a subpar TED Talk and, you know, little concert that's not nearly as good as most of the secular, not, again, not our church. I mean, we're better than TED Talks. And our music is better than a lot of stuff in the world. But that, that's an anomaly. I mean, that's, you don't get that in most churches. Come on. There's probably 300 churches in the general radius, and you don't get that. Um, which leads me to the churches who are successful are really successful because of transfer growth. And they're just doing it bigger and better and brighter and shinier than the other small churches around or other traditional churches that just don't have the, you know, the fiery animated TED talk and the amazing music. So yeah, people just kinda empty out. Again, my Walmart illustration, you know, when Walmart drops into a nice little town, they suck dry every small business in the area because nobody can compete with them. So this whole model, I think, is is just broken. It's a broken model, and yet we've been doing this forever. It has just been the thing that we have done over and over and over for really 1,700 years. Um, so anyways, that was kind of week one, but just to give you a little refresher, this is kind of the The revelation that I've been having, you know, just things I've been reading, podcasts I've been listening to. Just the pandemic overall just awakening me to some of the deficiencies of the big Sunday show. So today we're really talking about the lucrative business of church. And just how churches should handle money, how kingdom economics should work, how they do work, and how they really should work, how they were intended by God to work. So I did some research this week looking up statistics, and you can fact-check things. you know I mean, there's probably different groups. I don't know how they figure this stuff out, but I found out in the United States alone, um, and this was, I think, a few years ago, like 2017 or something like that but churches in the U.S brought in 100 I think it was 124 billion dollars. Just take that in for a minute. Churches run like corporations. The pastor is sort of the CEO. And even if the church is 75 people, it still kind of gets run like that. And the competition, of course, because it's like it's it's a big business, is to uh, attract tithers attract givers because, you know, we got to keep this machine afloat. You know, the pastor needs to get paid, the staff needs to get paid, the buildings need to be, uh, you know, paid for, and the whole machine, man, you need people to give. So churches are often designed to attract godly, mature, solid people believers who are going to be apt to give to tithe. I'm just, of course, being honest here. Churches of maybe 100 people, and this would vary depending on what part of the country and if it's a suburban church or an urban church and all that, but on average, a church of 100 might bring in a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. Churches of 300 might bring in a half a million Churches of 750, 1,000 people, 1,500, 2,000 people, they are bringing in millions and millions of dollars every single year. Sometimes even the very pastor is making almost a million dollars or more in a year. I mean, that's kind of crazy. And the churches that are bigger, by the way, tend to attract successful people. Right? Because people who are successful, they just, you know, they like nice things. They like, usually, like material things. They've made a lot of money, and they, so they kind of want to go to a place that feels, you know, it kind of appeals to their aesthetic sensibilities or their sense of, you know, whatever. Everything's nice. And so the bigger churches tend to attract the bigger givers and the more wealthy followers. Again I'm just, these aren't, these are just facts, okay? I'm just throwing these things out. This is just, this is what is going on today, all right? Where does the money go? That's the big question, right? Uh, so in some churches, nobody knows because there's like no transparency. There's no real accountability. It's like you just, you can't know. But a lot of churches do, you know, put it out there and have business meetings and look at the numbers and the distribution of things. But let's just talk about it. Where does the money go? There's $120 billion, $124 billion a year in the United States that goes comes into the little offering boxes. Actually, most people give online now. But where does it go? Well, about 50% of it, staff, Lead pastors, associate pastors, worship directors, youth pastors, kids pastors, administrative staff, uh, even building maintenance, uh, you know, somebody that does the cleaning and things like that. About 50%. So it's about $60 billion. And then a small percentage, maybe 5%, foreign missionaries. That's great. Maybe 5%, I think at best, local outreach, you know, local mission, where the the neighborhoods around the church or the town that the church is is embedded in uh, feels something of the generosity. And I think I'm being generous by saying 5%. Then there's program expenses, maybe 15% of the money goes to just programs in the church and all that's related with that, food and the different whatever, that has to do with uh, you know, the events, the activities of the church. And really most of them are designed to bless and touch the church people. It's for church people, for us. And then, of course, there's about 25 percent of the money is spent on buildings. And by the way, Ren functions almost perfectly with these percentages. We, about 50 percent, probably staff and pastoral staff and all that. About to, uh, maybe about 25 percent. Maybe less, maybe more. But when you put it all together with building, this is really, it is. It's about 25%, a quarter of what comes in. But building expenses, mortgage, rent, utilities, internet, phone lines. I think we need to have two in this building. Uh, fire inspections, elevator inspections, insurance, equipment, furnishings, maintenance, renovations, repairs, and so on and so forth. It's expensive, to have a build, and if you're in the city, you know, I mean, we have been fortunate. I mean, we are, we bring in about, and I'm just gonna throw out general numbers, about 400,000 a year, and so think about that. That's 100,000 a year for us, about, give or take. I think it might be less, because we have, you know, our landlord is another church, Um, And so we have 18,000 square feet and we pay 4,500 a month for our rent. That's ridiculous. That is so cheap, relatively speaking. Usually if you have in an urban setting like this, with this kind of location, um, if you had 10,000 square feet, you're going to be paying 10 grand a month, maybe more, all right? So even how... Even though we're talking about 100 grand that we, it's a million in a decade that we're putting toward a building. Um, This is an anomaly because we have dirt cheap rent. So think about this, $120 billion a year that comes into churches, 75% of that is staff. In buildings, That's $90 billion a year. Can we just imagine for a moment if the church at large in America just paused for a year and said, you know what, we're gonna have no paid staff and we're not gonna have buildings. I mean, you really can't do that. It would be much more complicated. But just for a moment, stay with me. Imagine if just for a year, that $90 billion could go toward clean water in various places around the world where people are dying of preventable diseases because they don't have clean water or medicine or food in some cases or just infrastructure or maybe schools. Affordable housing for the homeless, supporting widows and orphans. How about the Afghan refugee crisis that's happening where they need housing? What's the church doing? Not much. Seriously, not much. The Afghan refugees are pouring in, thousands of them, into into Rhode Island, into Massachusetts, into Connecticut. This isn't like somewhere far away, LA or something. This is happening right in our cities, right in our neighborhoods. They're pouring in. What are the churches doing? Almost nothing. Because almost all of our money that is pouring in these billions of dollars, it's, it's tied up. And the h- hypocrisy of it all, if I can just be honest, is that churches act as though, because this is what the Bible teaches, act as though caring for the poor and the needy and the widow and the orphan and you know, caring about the lost and being compassionate, that this is like a huge priority for churches. It's not. Look at the, I mean, let's just be honest about it. Look at the, the church checkbook, so to speak. Because that's really where your heart is, right? That's where the, that's what would really be telling, revealing of if any secular person said, okay, well let's really, let's really see, let's test it. Let's see where their money goes in the course of a year. How much does the church bring in? How much is really spent on the poor and the needy and caring for orphans and widows and even, you know, missions around the world? We're talking about a tiny percentage. I think the average is 10% local and global mission, which is kind of what we've been doing for years, and we're changing that up this year, but we've been doing that. And we feel great about the Oh, 10%. 10%? So 90% of what comes in is spent on staff and programs and buildings for the church people. I don't think that's a good look to the world, and I don't think it's biblical either. I think that you know, just even plowing into all this is, just to be honest, it's been disillusioning. You know, realizing, just as you start researching, realizing what some of the, you know, the churches, the, I mean, come on, the pastors, the, the best-selling authors and different church movements that we all love, you know, and then you start researching and realize how much ridiculous money is brought in. I mean, I, I don't know if I'd encourage doing this because you got to be ready for it. You know, look up the, the net worth of your favorite Christian author. Um, it can be, it can devastate you. All called to be priests. Anyways, I could go off on that much more, but we're not under Jewish law, and there's no teaching in the New Testament about tithing. It's just not there. Again, ch- go for it. Like find it search for it show show it to me if i'm missing it i mean i have searched it with a fine tooth comb and you know looked at every i know every verse about money in the new testament from jesus to paul to all the epistles and everything it's just it's not there the closest you can find is when Jesus was like rebuking uh, the religious teachers of the day and kind of dealing with them like, oh, you guys, you know, you tithe on the mint and the little tiny things and, you know, you shouldn't, you know, not do that, but, you know, you avoid the weightier matters of the, of the law, you know, justice and mercy and love. And I mean, that's not, Jesus wasn't setting a precedent for all, you know, New Testament Followers of Jesus would be tithers. He was rebuking the Pharisees and dealing with their wicked motives. Um, that is not enough to hang our whole uh, doctrine of tithing on. Again, there's much more I could say about that. And I have taught on that in the past, and you guys know we don't uh, hold to that. But what you do see in the, in the New Testament, in the early church, is generosity, generosity amongst the churches. And even one church helping another church and and giving gifts sent by, you know, like they, maybe Paul and Timothy or something would bring a, a gift from one more wealthier church to a, a, a church that didn't have much or there was a lot of need happening. It's just a beautiful exchange. They took care of their their own. They took care of the poor among them. They took care of their widows. Even you see that in Acts chapter 6. You know, there was a Distribution of food to the the different widows, and the the church was doing that. It was like a kind of a feeding program almost that happened in the in the new um, in the first church, and they supported missionaries as well. Um, I I mean, Paul probably was supported at times, but he even went so far. He said, "You know, I have a right to be supported because I'm, you know, kind of one sent out and going out to do missions, but." He uh, sometimes even refused to take money and would make tents or, you know, just try to work with his own hands, so he wouldn't burden the churches, probably because in some places there was a lot of poverty in the churches, and he just didn't want to draw uh, money from them. But what you don't see is um, in the early Christians is paid elders. Elder is the same as pastor. Uh, You don't see paid pastors, you know, paid to kind of care for the needs of the church and to deliver the weekly sermon. Uh, It's just, you just don't see it. Again, you can look for it, find it, show me. I mean, and I know the verses that people will say, oh, it's this, it's not. That's not what it means. So I challenge, you know, anyone to think about these things, you do your own research, but it ain't there. And believe me, I want it to be there, okay? Because nobody has more to lose here than than me, all right? But you just, you don't see this, and you don't see buildings either. Uh, You know, they met at Solomon's porch, um, you know, in the temple. They, Paul, I think, rented or I don't know, I think he rented it, the hall of Tyrannus in Ephesus for a couple years and did it was almost like a school of sorts where he was just training and kind of doing his apostolic thing for a bit. And but that wasn't a church. Churches met for the most part in homes and maybe homes were different. You know, some wealthier people had bigger open spaces, but it was very with money they just didn't put it into buildings. That's the early Christians for about 300 years. That's how, that's how they rolled. How can we become more like the first century church financially? Well, we can increase our, our giving to missions. You know, we've, I think, started with only 3% for years and then upped it to 10%. I think we've been at about 12%. Maybe last year was 12% and so we made the decision this year you know we we need to just kick it up and you know we talked it through and the council talked about it we came up with 24 percent which is good i don't think it's enough but it's a lot more than we've been doing it's kind of like doubling uh we really can't afford to do that so we're kind of taking it month to month but a little praise report uh the month of january we we did it you know we were able to Set apart about twenty five percent of the money that came in. It was about forty thousand that came in. About a quarter of that, missions, and then um, we still met budget with the seventy five percent that was left over. We still met budget, and even and even then some. So a little bit more. I think we put. Uh, I'm remembering right twenty seven hundred into our savings. That's kind of amazing. (laughs) So uh, this step of faith, I feel like the Lord, the first month we did it, you know, it was encouraging that it kind of worked. Um, So I'm I'm really excited about that. But we can certainly all um, practice generosity. Um, as I always say, our collective generosity is what matters the most. I'm not looking for one big giver, one really wealthy person who's going to give all the money. And that's not the way the Lord has designed it. You know, it's like every single person does what they can, they can do, what's in their heart to do and in terms of being generous. And I've asked this through the years. You know, when you're, when you're barely making it, all right, you don't make a lot of money and you are barely making it, 10% a tithe is like incredibly sacrificial. I mean, it's like a lot of money. If you are making a lot of money, 10% is like nothing. Unless you're spending all your money. You know, but it's like you have an overflow. I mean, it's the, the lesson that Jesus gave with the widow, right? The widow with the two coins, remember that? And the, the, the religious teachers were giving like great amounts of money and thinking they were so awesome. <laughs> and Jesus was not impressed at all. Remember that? Because he's like, they're giving out of their abundance. That's lame. He didn't say that, but <laughs> oh, that's my paraphrase. <laughs> Uh, he thought it. He thought it, but he didn't say it. <laughs> but then he 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 kind of held up the widow who came and just put in two coins and said, "This this is generosity right here. This this little widow because she she kind of gave all she had." And so God is always impressed by what we give in light of what we have, right? That's what generosity is really about. So we all have to kind of. Put these things before the Lord. It's, it's almost like the tithe is too easy. It's like, oh, it's a mathematical thing. Great. Well, I'm making a lot of money now. So the 10%, pff, I barely even feel it. You know, No, it's, the question is always, Lord, um, what does it look like to you for me to be generous? And that number is going to be so different for every single one of us. But that's what we're going for. I think that's how we can be, A New Testament church is we can all strive to be generous in the work of God. I would also add giving cheerfully. Um, I've said this many times throughout the years. If you can't give to the church cheerfully, just keep it, like seriously, because God doesn't want it. If you can't give from a cheerful heart and as an act of worship, It's, don't do it out of obligation. Oh, I'm supposed to do it. The pastor's like, why? Tell me, we got to tithe, or we've heard that teaching, or, you know, we got to, don't do it. Now, that's probably not the best solution. Just, well, great, that's awesome. I'm not giving anymore. No, my challenge is, get to a place where you're cheerful about it, where your heart is right about it. If you aren't giving cheerfully, that's actually a very serious problem. It means you're, Maybe there's an idolatry with money, or way too attached to money. Um, that, that's like a whole message in itself that we could talk about. But we should be very open handed with with what it's all God's, anyways, right? It's all his. Everything that comes, every paycheck you get, every blessing that comes your way, it is all from the Father. And so we should be very open handed with that. We don't, you know, receive it and then, okay, it's mine. No, you're not having it. Okay, how much you want? 10%? Oh, gosh, you know, and maybe we'll do it once in a while. No, this is all the Lord's. And so it's really giving is all about a heart issue. Generosity is a heart issue. Um, so I think that's one way that we could become more like the early Christians is to cultivate that that heart of cheerful generosity in our community. And I I, I Do you think that that is it, Ren? I mean, we have incredible givers in this church. We have defied the pandemic. I mean, so many churches have been hurt financially by the pandemic. I don't even know. You guys are crazy. You know, like, there's just such a a maturity and generosity in this community. Uh, I mean, we've shrunk numerically. It doesn't even make sense that we're a church of, like, I don't know, a little over 100, maybe 150 people. And that we brought in I don't know what the total was, but it was like over 400,000 dollars last year. That makes no sense. Like we're, that's, that's incredible. So this church is very generous, and so I'm, you know kind of preaching to the choir. but you know, let's keep it going. But the thing to consider, some of the things, the bigger, tougher things to consider, are, you know, maybe uh, releasing the building at some point. You know, as we go to these small churches and maybe we're meeting in homes or other free spaces in clusters of, you know, 20, 25, 30 of us. Listen, I, I found this space. I'm the one who came up with most of the designs. I did the layout. I labored over this. I worked in this building uh, night and day for months To make it what it is. I love spaces. If you know me, um, it's like a hobby. I love space design. I love finding spaces, beautifying spaces, making them interesting. I get high off of spaces. (laughs) So don't get all, like, mopey on me, all right? Because I am the king of mopey (laughs) when it comes to, like, what? You might be, like... Taking away our space, you know, I'm going to be moping more than all of you put together. All right? Because I just, I love spaces. And it's, it's just, you know, something I love. But $100,000 a year. Do we need a building? That's the question. Do we need a big building? Do we need to spend $100,000 a year to fulfill the mission of Jesus? You really have to answer that question carefully. And don't be so quick to, oh, of course we're going to have a building. You know, gonna, and there's all, are good, do good things happen in the building? Yeah, of course. All kinds of cool things have happened in this space. God uses buildings. I'm not saying he doesn't. But the question is, do we need them to fulfill the mission of Jesus? In fact, I would argue that the building actually stifles the mission of Jesus. I'm just going to leave that out there for you to ponder and talk about. You know, the other big thing, of course, is uh, thinking about paid senior pastor. Do we we need that? Do, Do we need that? like and probably if you really think about this having the paid pastor or the pastoral staff church staff actually hinders the growth of the church now that I know that what 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 yeah because it it fosters passivity because really honestly the the pastor and the church staff are paid to handle most of the 58 one another verses in the New Testament. Look for it and see if you can find the idea of paid clergy that are supposed to like visit the sick and care for the poor and do all the feeding and do all the... All the one others, basically. I mean, because this is what pastors need to do. Like, oh, he felt like the pastor doesn't care about me. The pastor never reached out to me. pastor never, you know, fell away from the church, and he never, you know, went after me. And like, all of it, it's like all on the, which isn't good for the people. It's not good for you guys because it fosters passivity. And it's not good for pastors. I mean, pastors are burnt out, because there's so much, I mean, they're good-hearted people and they feel like, oh, I want to be a good pastor. So I want to just do all of this stuff. And so they work, you know, 60, 70, 80 hours a week. They're constantly, until they just fry. Unless they are of a certain caliber of wiring, you know, that can handle that and just thrives on work. They're workaholics. It's not a good model. So I think you know we we could explore shifting the pastoral model to more of a, a missions model, and you know let let pastors do the work. I mean this this is why I got into it. I never went into the ministry to just like kind of you know be like a a baby bottle you know for everybody just to feed off of. You know I, I went into it to reach the lost because my heart was gripped in new york city i was weeping and bawling all the time because lost people were going to hell because like the world is like broken because there are people who have never even heard the gospel there are people that are confused about the gospel you know when i saw the multitudes i was weeping for them i was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd harassed and helpless and just wanting to fulfill the mission of Jesus, to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples, rescue the perishing, save those who are staggering toward death. Like, that's the thing that got me moving toward the ministry. And even planting a church, that was my heartbeat. And I spent most of my time outside the walls of the church for years and then at some point, oh, we got all these people and the pressure and now I just slowly gradually became less of an apostolic, you know, church planter and more of the I don't know, the event manager, the CEO of the corporation, the you know, the big baby bottle for everyone. You know, I got to do all the feeding. I got to do all the teaching because we're all accustomed to this thing, this model that we've been under for 1,700 years. And so there's this pressure on the pastor to do certain things. And like, I'm just being honest. I'm kind of dying by doing this because it doesn't even feel right it hasn't resonated with me for years, and I feel like I'm always in this tension because my heart bleeds for lost people in church planting, and yet I'm kind of like I mean campus ministries, and I know John would agree getting the same thing you know i was I did campus ministry for a while, so you know you're burdened for the for the you know eight thousand uh, 10,000 lost students on College Hill. And then you, you know, you just, okay, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to reach the lost. Maybe there's some Christians on the campus that could work with me and we could just work together to like reach lost people and just make disciples. And, you know, but it turns into like a youth group. And most of the time and energy and money that is spent by the campus pastor is spent on these you know, kind of church kids that have this group and all their issues with their boyfriends and girlfriends and all their different problems and stuff like that. And it's just this insular thing. I mean, you know I'm speaking the truth about this. And so, you know, and you have uh, all these churches supporting the campus ministers, you know, to reach the loss, Because I've been, I've preached in churches and, you know, caused people to, cry over it, you know, like, oh my God, we need to reach our students, the potential is there, they're coming from all over the world, the 1040 window from closed nations, and they're they're studying in America, they're studying here, right, right over there, four miles away, like, we need to reach them, and people are, like, emptying their pockets, right, to, you know, support this kind of thing, but then, actually, when you get into it, you're kind of babysitting Christians, changing the diapers of kids who grew up in the church and really should be themselves missionaries. Not our college students. (laughs) But I'm just speaking in broad terms. All right, I'm going to close this up and... I'll let you go. Thanks for listening. Relax if all this is hard to process. Uh, Nothing that I'm saying will happen quickly. We are, you know, we're a family. We're going to work through all these things. Um, I certainly don't want to bring any financial strain on any of our present paid staff. There's two full-time staff, me and Catherine, And then there's uh, maybe half a dozen other part time staff. So we're not like gonna do anything crazy. That's it, we're done. We're like, just, you know, everybody's fired. You know, we're gonna give all our money to the poor. (laughs) Like, we're not, okay, we just, that's not, we're not gonna do that because that would just be hurtful, that would be damaging, confusing. We need to just one step at a time. You know, we wouldn't release the building. Next month, like, you come, knock on the... It's like, you know, it's a restaurant. <laughs> what, what the heck? It's Trader Joe's. <laughs> Which would be cool, actually. Um, you know, but we want to make sure the you know, the small churches that we're forming are really strong and healthy and work out the kinks and uh, firmly established and it feels like the right time to do this. Uh, we we also, you know, want to make this paradigm shift in a way that other churches would feel like it's feasible to follow suit. You know, like, let's just say, um, you know, we, we fired all the staff, like, today, including myself. Um, and, but, you know, I'm gonna, I'm resilient because I'm a little crazy, and I'm gonna just, like, start a business like tomorrow and beg all you to be investors into the business probably. (laughs) You know, I'll be emailing you, meeting you, knocking on your door and hey, invest in this business. So, but maybe I could do that and it would be successful and my family would be fine and would be provided for um, and maybe the rest of the staff would kind of do similar things. But that's not typical. Okay, you have to realize most pastors really couldn't do that, all right? They're not, like, entrepreneurs. They're, they're, they're people, persons. You know, they, they just love people. They love to teach the word. You know, they're, they, I mean, maybe they could, sh- maybe they could do retail management or something. But it's, there has to be a way to shift that's gentle and, and actually could work for not just us, but for other churches as well. I am not the dictator king of renaissance. Just take that in for a moment. The power to make decisions that affect everyone does not lie in the hands of three to four elders um, or even the council that we have of 13 or 14 uh, people, but we are all God's church together, and we want to move forward through the paradigm shift in agreement With a sense of consensus, Uh, and you can mark my words: this is being recorded, and you can print it out, (laughs) remind me of it. But I am not going to bulldoze this thing forward and hurt the church, or hurt staff, or hurt myself and my family. You know, I'm I'm going to be 55 this year. Um, You know, finances are important when you start getting to that age, and I was extremely underpaid for many, many years. And so just kind of playing some catch up now. And so it's, you know, our situation is fragile or whatever. So we want to do this in a way that um, has wisdom to it. So take the ideas that I'm setting before you, test them with scripture. And my, (laughs) I'm going to say pastoral request, but my even just one Christian brother to you guys as my Brothers and sisters, um, I just plead with this family that we could stay together through this, uh, through this paradigm shift. And I don't know how long this could be like a five- to 10-year thing that, you know, happens. I don't know. It could be quicker, depending on several factors, but there will be growing pains. Uh, there will be discomfort, lots of unlearning, trial and error, figuring stuff out along the way. It could get a little messy at times, but could we could we commit ourselves to one another and to what God is doing in this um, local church expression? I believe in due season, Ren will be bursting with life. There's already life in this church, but I believe that even more fruitfulness will come from it as we stay with it. I feel like we've wanted to do this through the years. Again, it's like there's we're so naturally missional. We're so naturally as a community relational. We we kinda wanted the when we do art installations, when we do like missional small groups, like these things, we naturally kind of we're wanting this to happen. Um and I just feel like but we've been having functioning under this old model because that's how you're supposed to do it. So I think it I think the transition could be pretty easy. Um, and I, I just wonder if this wineskin is what's needed to hold the revival that we have dreamt about and prayed about for the last twenty years. So yeah, it feels a little strange, a little unfamiliar maybe, but just, just stay with it. Um, don't shrink back. I know it would be very easy to, eh, I don't know where this is, this feels a little weird. This is, you know, it's fine to have that feeling, but don't just have a feeling and then leave or just dismiss it, like trace the feeling down. Actually, somebody was sharing uh, yesterday with me that like at first they had like this feeling of like reaction against it, but then, as they started to really, you know, think about it, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, it is weird, but it's weird because what we've been doing for the last 1,700 years is not normal. It's very weird to Jesus to have giant churches and cathedrals of spending billions and billions of dollars on all of this. That's weird. To God. I want to know what's weird to him, not what's weird to us as church people or in church culture. We want God's heart. So don't quickly reject what I'm saying like the people did when they were first told that the earth wasn't flat. <laughs> don't research it just for a day. You know, Google, Google stuff, all right? Google, should churches have buildings? Should church gatherings be big? Should churches have paid pastors? Oh man, you're going to get the flood of all the different perspectives. Read them all. I've been reading the arguments for paid clergy and for buildings. And I'm just, I love truth. And these arguments are weak. They are really weak by even some really renowned teachers and theologians that I would expect more from, but I think where we're where we 're going is someplace special um, yeah, just don't leave i 'm going to get on my knees now and just <laughs> beg you no, but can we just not? You know, and again, challenge me. Come and challenge me if you feel like I don't know if I can do this because it doesn't feel biblical or it doesn't seem biblical. And be great, you know, like come and talk to me about that. But don't just quickly dismiss it. We are a community who loves truth. We are not loyal to any denomination, to any particular camp out there. Uh, we're just not. We're loyal to Jesus and to. The truth of the scriptures and really to one another. Let's, let's stay true to that. And I, I'm just excited at what the Lord's going to do in the coming days. Amen. Amen. Anyone else excited? All right. All right. Cool. There's a few of you now. It's that's that's actually about half. That's, that's scary. <laughs> All right. It's everybody. <laughs> That's an obligation, not cheerful. It's like, yes, very excited. Oh my gosh, I'm going to start looking for a new church tomorrow. <laughs> Father, we thank you for your great love, for your um, word, for your truth, for your ideas, for the church, for your design, uh, for the way you intended things to be. And Lord, we know that this is not my church. This is not even like our church in a sense. Like, this is how we do it, this is our vision. But Lord, this is your church. We are your people. You are the head. You are the shepherd. And so, Lord, we are open to what you want to do. As I always think about, you know, we're, we're erasing the chalkboard of our ideas and our vision, and we are handing you the chalk for the coming days, for the future. Um, you, Lord, write your design, and your vision into our hearts. And give us the courage to do that on every level. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sorry for not giving you an intermission. (laughs) But go eat. Yeah. Love you guys.